This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, September 20th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, public health urges caution around COVID exposure. Mountain Village looks to understand forest health. Mountain Village considers new hotel development and a mountain weather forecast. COVID close contacts are going up in San Miguel County. Public health is encouraging residents and visitors to be cautious surrounding their potential exposure during day-to-day activities. Public health tracks exposure to COVID through five categories, social, workplace, travel, household, and community, when there's no known point of contact. Public health notes social, workplace, and travel are the easiest areas to take personal control by increasing distance, using masks, and washing your hands. They urge individuals to limit group sizes, meet outside when possible, and reschedule activities if someone doesn't feel well. In a news release, Public Health says contact tracers are once again working around the clock to notify the, quote, record number of close contacts. Public health officials recently noted tracers are seeing as many as 30 close contacts per positive case. Officials add it's important to remember the pandemic is far from over, and all residents and visitors to San Miguel County need to take personal responsibility to limit the spread. Between September 10th and 15th, Public Health confirmed 29 local positive cases of COVID-19. There are currently 38 active cases in the county. The U.S. has seen nearly every natural disaster this year. Hurricanes, flooding, heat waves, wildfire. As the climate changes, local governments are turning to scientists to help determine how to move forward. Mountain Village is one example. At a Mountain Village Town Council meeting last week, John Miller, Community Housing Program Director for Mountain Village, asked council for support to fund a forest health study. To help us understand long-term changing of our forests. So um, essentially, what is our forest going to look like mid-century? In 2050, are we going to have the same types of trees? And if we're not, How are we proactively working with new homes and landowners to plant those trees that will do better as we move to those warmer, drier climates so that if there is an issue with, you know, say a a massive beetle kill, that we have other trees that are already established that are growing into their own before we have that type of event. Miller notes historically, fires don't burn as often at high elevation. But with climate change affecting the environment, the region can't count on altitude as fire protection. What we've seen now with the drier summers, less monsoons, um, warmer springs, is that these fires start in times that we don't typically see historically, and the fires burn much more intensely. He adds he doesn't anticipate to see raging fires on a year-to-year basis. But we're planning for the worst, and by reducing the vegetation on the landscape and hardening the homes, those homes have a better chance of surviving the fire. Um, So that's kind of the the goal. Miller suggests working with Dr. Jason Seibold, who has led similar forest health projects in the region, including in Bear Creek. He says the study would require roughly $50,000 in funding. Mountain Village Town Council seemed in support of budgeting for the study. If the funding makes it into the final budget, the study would likely take place next spring, with a final report later in the year. 
A new hotel condo restaurant space is in the works for Mountain Village. The property sits near Heritage Plaza between the Peaks and Wagner Skis. Last week, developers shared their vision for the property with Mountain Village Town Council. So the goal is to create a luxury rental product, a mixed-use product, um, that also really energizes that side of the core of Mountain Village. It's pretty quiet there. Um, We're trying to create amenities that will really draw people, bring families. That's Matthew Shear with Vault Home Construction, which owns the property. What we think the ideal uh, project mix would be is um, 40 boutique hotels in a, you know, in an upscale, fun type hotel like a Kimpton. Um, We want to then do, of course, our rentals, which will be a flexible program that really takes um, anyone who wants to rent from a month to one year. Um, And we will allow deed-restricted applicants to get a a deed-restricted rate for those units. There's also proposed to be penthouses for purchase on the top floor and a boutique bowling alley and high-end Japanese restaurant on the ground floor. This building we envision to be a steel, stone, and glass structure um, with a lot of green elements. uh, So, you know, it's not going to be your traditional, you know, white vanilla box. I mean, we put a lot of effort into the interior design, They're all going to be furnished. Um, So, you know, to describe it before it's designed is difficult, but um, it's not going to be cookie cutter. Shear says to him, the rental units are an important piece of the development. He wants to create a middle tier of housing. You know, one of the things we I found in the last year and a half of living here is that while there's also a workforce housing housing shortage, there's a big shortage or non-existent marketplace of Everything from workforce housing to multi-million dollar single family or townhomes. Cheer says the deed-restricted rental units could go for $1,500 a month for a two-bedroom, up to $4,600 for a two-bedroom non-deed-restricted. He notes the rent will also scale based on how long someone chooses to rent. So if you're, a year ter- if you're on a year lease, your rate's going to be less than if you're renting for a season. right? So that's the way to both incentivize people to stay longer and also to, you know, for your your seasonal people can afford a little bit more per month because it's not on a longer term basis. So again, we're trying to keep the model flexible so that we can get as much people as possible, you know, in these doors. He believes creating a space for people making 80 to $100,000 a year is important for the dynamics of Mountain Village. Not to just have super rich and service people serving them. I think it's an important component to the town. As proposed, the project would also have 150 spaces of underground parking. Developers also plan to simultaneously build a 50-unit building of employee housing in Lawson as a public benefit for the development. That benefit, sitting outside of Mountain Village, is a sticking point for some members of council. Here's Councilmember Patrick Barry. How do we ensure that we get public benefit? Because how do you run a restaurant? How do you run a hotel? How do you run all these things? without having a place to house the employees. It's a crucial piece. I know there's a mutual benefit for you to do it, but we can't require it. So for me, I'm working through some mechanical legal issues and just trying to understand if that really fulfills public benefit. Council asked the developers to come back with a more structured development proposal, including more details on the public benefit, before it moves forward with the official plans for building. It's not always easy to talk about suicide, but there are tools and tips to support community members struggling with mental health and thoughts of suicide. 
This week, Tri-County Health Network will be hosting Safe Talk, a course to teach participants how to support members in the community by recognizing signs and symptoms and practicing what to say. The Safe Talk workshop will take place on Tuesday, September 21st at the Wilkinson Public Library from noon to 4 p.m. Registration is available at tchnetwork.org. There will also be a walk out of darkness in Telluride on Saturday, September 26th in Town Park. The walk aims to bring awareness to mental health struggles and a time to remember those lost to suicide. Registration begins at 9 a.m. with speeches at 10 and the walk at 10.30 a.m. Building in Mountain Village this year is booming. It's very likely going to be our largest construction year um, in maybe maybe ever. I don't mean to be dramatic, but uh, I think ever is a good word. <laughs> That's Michelle Haynes, Planning and Development Services Director for the Town of Mountain Village. According to Haynes, the town has issued 13 building permits for single-family home construction in 2021. Seven have building permits pending and 19 projects have completed or are in design review. Valuation for the building permit projects are also up. We're at a $55 million valuation today, but I didn't incorporate the fact that we have pending building permits to issue where we haven't collected funds. So we're actually at $66 million, and I think by year end we'll very likely be at $70 million or likely exceed that. The average valuation for single-family homes in Mountain Village is currently $2.9 million, with the average size for a new home at just over 6,000 square feet. Thirteen films recently received an influx of funds to help with the creative development process. Last week, Mountain Film announced its winners of the 2021 Commitment Grant recipients. Grants range from $1,000 to $5,000 to assist documentary filmmakers in the production or post-production stages of work. This year, the grants went to 15 Days by Undi Timoner, A Life Illuminated by Tasha Van Zandt, Curl Power from Josephine Anderson, Carla Joelle Brown for Everyone But Two, The Life, Love, and Travel of Benjamin and Francis Graham, Ben Page's Fight Back, Ibach by Rachel Weinberg, Keep the Last Light On by Chris Philippone, Sanctuary Rising by Florcina Kroncek and Theo Rigby, Ashley York, Susanna Ruiz, Hui Trong, and John Fee are awarded for So Help You God, Hannah Taylor for An Accidental Life, Frost, The Style in Which We Climb by Tom Sewell, One Shot by Sammy Khan, and Weaving the Path by Cristobal Ruiz. Mountain Film notes the grants are part of its mission to support documentary filmmakers telling stories to create a better world, focused on adventure, activism, social justice, culture, environment, and the indomitable spirit. The Biden administration is moving the Bureau of Land Management's headquarters out of Grand Junction and back to the nation's capital. Elected officials from both parties in Colorado lobbied against the move, but now they're reacting very differently. Democratic Senator Michael Bennett says he is disappointed, but says there is a silver lining because the Biden administration is promising to make Grand Junction the Western headquarters and add staff. He says he'll help make sure the agency keeps that promise. Meanwhile, Republicans are saying Bennett and other Colorado Democrats failed by letting the national headquarters slip away. 
State GOP Chair Christy Burton-Brown says they are, quote, prioritizing D.C. bureaucrats over taxpaying Americans. The Interior Department says the Trump administration's plan to move the BLM leadership to Grand Junction was never successful in the first place, with only three people making the move from D.C. out west. They say most chose to quit instead. Policing and how we reform it has been the national spotlight in communities across the country this past year. Things have already been difficult in Colorado because of the pandemic, and this effort is yet another stressor for a group that experiences high rates of mental health struggles. In the first of a three-part series called Under Pressure, KUNC's Lee Patterson looks at how these issues are impacting law enforcement in Boulder County. And a warning, this story explicitly mentions violence and mental health struggles and may not be suitable for all listeners. There's a lot of content on Vinnie Montez's <laughs> Facebook page. See my Videos of him singing, goofing around, performing. He's a comedian from Boulder, broad-shouldered and stocky with a huge smile. He's also a cop, a commander with the Boulder County Sheriff's Office. One of the videos has nearly three million views, and it's a really serious one. It's Vinny in his patrol car listing off some of the things he's seen on the job, like showing up on the scene of a teen suicide. Do you know what it's like to say, I'm sorry for your loss, and not be able to get the sound of the family member's agonizing screams out of your mind? Or a car accident. Do you know what it's like to give CPR to a 17-year-old kid, to be covered in blood, to do everything you can to save his life, but then have him die anyway? He also talks about stepping over a dead body like a sack of potatoes while trying to save others. Do you know what it's like to try and forget about what you've seen, smelled, tasted, felt, heard, and touched? Well, I do. And maybe give us a little credit for undertaking an incredibly complex and challenging job. He posted this video last June while protests were happening all over the country. People were demanding change, calling out racism, violence, and over-policing ignited by the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, but born out of the distrust and trauma that many communities of color have lived with for a long time. Colorado lawmakers had just passed Senate Bill 217, the Enhanced Law Enforcement Integrity Act, which was backed by Democrat Leslie Harrod and had bipartisan support. So I want y'all to know that your voices and your cries have been heard. Among its many provisions, the legislation changes the rules around deadly force, body cameras, and officer liability. Uh, I felt like we were on an island for a little while, and I felt like we were alone. Mostly because of messaging like ACAB, all cops are bastards. You're seeing a lot of social media, you know, calling for the defunding of cops, and you see people marching in the streets saying, kill the cops. Wow, that's a lot to take in. Add in the COVID-19 pandemic and you had the perfect recipe for low morale and struggling officers. For many, all of this was layered on top of existing mental health struggles. This is really hard stuff to get cops to talk about, but it's an important issue for Vinny and he wanted to speak up. I, I didn't want to make a video that was attacking anybody um, because that doesn't help things. I just wanted to share my perspective and I want people to know that these men and women they're battling with things. 
In a 2018 survey conducted by NBC News and the Fraternal Order of Police, a national membership organization, nearly 80% of officers reported overwhelming stress on the job. A majority say this has led to lingering emotional issues, like becoming easily angered, trouble sleeping, and relationship problems. It was a heavy season. It's been a heavy season for about a year and a half. That's Boulder County Sheriff Joe Pelly. He worked on the police reform bill at the request of other sheriffs in the state. I got engaged in that, and that turned out to be a marathon, high-stress deal. And in the meantime, our county's covered with ash and smoke from the wildfires. It was, it was dark. The Boulder County Sheriff's Office offers a variety of mental health services, like therapy through an employee assistance program, but much of it is voluntary. The department doesn't require yearly behavioral health screenings. Some counseling is required, though, following certain traumatic events. We've done a good job of making services available, I believe. What we haven't done a good job with and what we're trying to develop right now is that level of self-awareness and self-assessment. But Pelly's employees have been getting more help since the start of the pandemic. The department's chaplains and peer support teams have been busy. They're doing more outreach. And the department contracts with a team of psychologists whose workload has doubled. All of this is going on. And then in March, this. We begin tonight with the horrific scene playing out late today in Boulder, Colorado. The King Super shooting shocked the community. He went in the store. Oh, my God. Ten people were killed by a gunman, including an officer with the Boulder Police Department, Eric Talley. And I have a couple deputies who were at King Supers and who were shot at and who have to help recover Officer Talley and stand guard over him. And they're they're hurting. So we're trying to help them uh, as best we can and keep them engaged with professional assistance. This is one of the places many cops can go for help. So I'm the wellness director for the Colorado Fraternal Order of Police. Rebecca Allenson, who was a police officer herself for 18 years, says the need for counseling has gone through the roof over the past year. The fragility of the officers needing the services has increased. You have a very big gap between the officers' experience and then those members, those vocal members on one side who very much think that it is all about violence and it is all about, you know, racism. And and I think the truth is somewhere in between. Researchers surveyed officers in Los Angeles and Columbus, Ohio, following protests in those cities last summer. They reported high levels of stress and universally low morale. Protesters described police aggression towards them using chemicals and rubber bullets. Researchers recommended that leadership address everyone's trauma if they hope to reform policing. The situation varies across the country. Many communities experience small or sporadic protests. Allenson says here she's seeing pre-existing trauma coupled with new stressors, pushing some officers to take time off from work. It's impacting my family. It's impacting my ability on the job to be cognitively sharp so that I can be safe, so I can keep other people safe. How related is mental health and wellness to being able to serve properly? 100 trillion percent related. And this is the part that we are not talking about. And that's why mental health for the officers, in my opinion, needs to be where we put the money. Little research exists showing a direct link between poor mental health and harmful outcomes like excessive use of force. Instead, 
Many advocates and citizens have argued for solutions like less policing and for routing law enforcement dollars elsewhere. Darren O'Connor, the criminal justice committee chair for the NAACP of Boulder County, says these solutions can coexist. You know, defund the police isn't saying end the police force. It's apply them appropriately. And it's appropriate to have police officers who are in a good mental state. But he says the reform priorities for this NAACP chapter focus on implicit bias, jail conditions, and giving police oversight groups real enforcement power. State Representative Leslie Herod argues that officer well-being has already been a part of the national conversation. I mean, we saw the officers who were involved in the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Four have since died by suicide. We need to have ongoing psychological evaluations for our officers just to ensure that they are fit to, to serve and to protect the community. Starting in 2018, Colorado lawmakers have made millions of dollars available for officer mental health services, but getting officers to use services is a persistent challenge. 90% of the participants in the Fraternal Order of Police survey said the stigma around getting help is huge. My dad was law enforcement officer for 30 years, and so I know it's not an easy job, and I do hope that officers who need help get it and that their departments support them in getting that support. Some do, like Vinnie Montez. Years ago, the Boulder County Sheriff's Office commander had a serious breakdown after trying and failing to save the 17-year-old kid who had been in a car accident. He talked about it in the video. I had seen so many things, uh, heard so many things, experienced so many things, that I was angry because I never dealt with those emotions. I just packed them away. He started going to therapy, got into comedy, started feeling a lot better. Fast forward to a recent summer evening in Boulder. The sheriff's office is hosting a block party. Kids are climbing all over a patrol car. People are eating tacos from a food truck. Vinny loves this stuff. This event right here gives us the opportunity to show people the, I guess, the normal side of what we do. People see us when they're in crisis oftentimes or when things are not going well. He's laughing, smiling, taking pictures with kids, chatting up the neighbors, even dancing a little bit. But there's always going to be people just like the people across the street right now and that are going to come and protest us. A few people have appeared holding signs that say defund the police, no justice, no peace. This is kind of an, uh, a little microcosm it of everything. It is a very microcosm of everything, but this is the reality of where we're at in 2021. Avil, excuse me, because I need to make sure we're going to be okay here. A lot has changed for law enforcement in Boulder since the start of 2020. In-person events like this one are happening again, and morale is improving. But tension over policing persists, as incidents of excessive force keep happening across the state. Lee Patterson, KUNC. The KUNC series Under Pressure continues on Wednesday with a look at how policing is changing at one apartment complex in Boulder where 911 calls have drastically increased over the past few years. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low in the mid-30s. Tuesday should be sunny during the day and clear at night with a high around 65 degrees and a low near 40. Wednesday should be sunny with a high near 70 degrees. Wednesday night calls for mostly clear skies with a low in the mid-40s. This has been the news for Monday, September 20th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. 
And now, personal commentaries. Good afternoon. My name is Kristen, and I am on Telluride's Ecology Commission, which is bringing you Telluride's annual Black Bear Awareness Week. In cooperation with the Colorado Division of Parks and Wildlife, Wilkinson Public Library, Telluride Farmers Market, and the Wild Mountain Puppet Troop. For today's commentary, I have two black bear tidbits. Are you listening? One of the best ways to keep bears outside of your home is to keep downstairs doors and windows closed and locked. Black bears can open double-hung windows and levered door handles. Come to think of it, they can also easily open a car door that has the new easy open levered handles. So lock your car doors too. While it may be intimidating when a black bear stands up, it is not being aggressive. A black bear stands up on two feet to use its super sensitive nose to better sniff things they are trying to identify. A black bear shows it is nervous or feels threatened when it lays its ears back. Laying its ears back means back off and go away. For more information on black bear biology and ways to live safely in black bear country, please contact the Colorado Division of Parks and Wildlife at their website. Thank you all for listening and thank you, Kodo. Do you or your teen spend hours checking your phone? Has texting or social media replaced face-to-face dialogue? Are alcohol and drugs social lubricants necessary to feel comfortable in day-to-day interactions? Whether the answer to these questions are a resounding yes, or the questions simply made you wonder, then please join Communities That Care for a virtual event September 22nd from 6 to 7.30 p.m. featuring published author and speaker Sydney Pierce. Through the lens of comedic storytelling, Sydney will discuss how to gain social courage in today's high-tech culture. Register online at tchnetwork.org or call us at 970-708-7096. Hey, Kodo listeners, this is the Cheeky Monkey, also known as Kai Schuler, also known as Kayulani Faciani. All three of us would like to invite you to my book signing on Wednesday, the 22nd, at the library on the East Terrace at 5 p.m. I'm a miraculous thriver with terminal stage 4 cancer that has been given just weeks to live four different times and yet has been no evidence of disease for eight years. It is my mission to provide inspiration and information so you don't just go off and die because someone in a white coat said you would. Viva la revolución! I want everyone to be a rebel. I published three blogs, and I have published three books, and I will be reading excerpts from them and telling a little of my story. Refreshments and snacks will be served, and we'll wrap up around six. You can purchase any or all of the books at discounted rates, and I'll even sign them for you if you want. I would love to see you there. Please come help me celebrate these labors of love and pay homage to the beloved members of our community that we have lost to this wicked disease. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.